0: Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51. We're so thankful that you're here today. If you're a first-time guest and visitor, we are honored that you're here today. You'll hear that repeatedly because we are honored that you're here. Thank you, Brother Justin. And we're praying that the Lord would just work mightily through the service today and have something special for you while you're here. And uh, I'm going to ask our members and regular attendees look around you. If our guests or visitors or someone new to the church you don't know doesn't have a Bible or which a little confused as to where we're at, would you share your Bible with them and help them find their place and let them know this is a very, very friendly church. We're glad you're here. We have some folks visiting from Florida and from Southern California, from San Diego, and other places like that. We're honored you're here. While you're in Psalm 51, I want to congratulate Zola and Zenaida Martinez on their wedding anniversary today. Congratulations and happy anniversary to Zola and Zenaida. And uh, when we have our special banquet events, Zenaida and her daughter, Jocelyn, and several other ladies take ownership and just help us with wonderful decorations for the church and the beautiful floor arrangements. And we just thank God for people that use their gifts and talents for the Lord and just being a blessing to others. So that's a wonderful, wonderful thing there today. I encourage you tonight to be back for our evening service. One of our missionaries uh, is here with us this morning, uh, Pastor uh, William Miracle, who is over in uh, Chengdu, China, one of the large cities of the world, and uh, recently uh, led his church and calling a young man that got uh, saved and, and uh, nurtured in his, in his ministry. They, he led the church and calling Brother Daniel Shong to be uh, the pastor of the church. And the church is just moving on real well. And uh, we've had Brother Daniel here in this church. And we love Brother Daniel and his wife. They're just wonderful people. And they, she, recently, his wife just recently gave birth to their first uh, baby son, their first child. So we rejoice in that. But Pastor Miracle will be here preaching tonight. I urge you to come tonight. He's probably one of the great stories of faith in our generation. Great missionary being used of God. And uh, having helped start two churches, he's on the verge of praying about where God wants him to start the third and fourth one. Amen? And so that's a good thing. We want you to be a part of just what God's doing in missions. And then 30 days from today we are going to be in the midst of our 18th annual Missions Conference. And that is a time you don't want to miss. And we've got a lot of things leading up to that. We want to encourage your heart about about what God's doing in the world. There's a lot of things going on in the world that make people a little bit angry and a little bit anxious. Things like, you know, are, are we going to be hit by a nuclear missile? And, you know, what about peace treaties? And what's going on with Russia? And what's going on with Iran and all that? And that should concern us. But as Christians, the number one thing that should concern us is, is the gospel getting to those countries. Amen. It's the gospel getting in those countries. That should concern us. And let's not get so caught up with, with all the, the, the day-to-day things we do in this life that we forget. There's a world that needs to be saved. In Jesus' words, he said, Pray ye now, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that send forth laborers to the harvest. That should still be our prayer. That should be what we desire this morning. So you help me with that. Psalms 51, say amen if you're there. Amen. Have mercy upon me. Don't you feel like that's you this morning? Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out. The word blot out means obliterate, take away, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee, thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. This morning we are looking at, again, in our series on prayer, at a specific prayer of a wonderful Bible Christian. And this particular Christian is is a believer by the name of David. And we would call this the prayer of confession. Now, I don't know what confession means to you, but I think most most of us have a, a, an idea that confession is making an honest acknowledgement about things remind reminded about the story of four preachers who got together and and they were. And, and this is not saying the preachers do this, but it's just kind of a humorous thing. But four preachers got together and they were talking and then one of them said, don't you think it'd be a good thing as preachers? We just confess our sins one to another. And they looked kind of hesitating at each other. And the first one said, well, I'll go first. And he said, well, I want to tell you guys what my sin is. He says, uh, my sin is that I go off and to the movies uh, when I'm not in church. And that's just to say there that probably the movies are not the best place for a Christian to be. And the other three guys went, oh. The second preacher said, uh, he confessed his sin. Well, I have to be honest with you guys. Every now and then I, I did a sm- cigar and I smoke a cigar. And the other three went, oh. And the third preacher said, well, I have to confess to you guys. He said, "Mine's is that I, I kind of go off on the side and I play cards with some people. I shouldn't really play cards. And the other three went, oh, and you can imagine all four of them look at each other. and said, man, I'm amazed that, you know, that you guys were really being that open and honest. And finally, they looked at the fourth preacher and not said anything. And they said, well, what about you? We've told you what our sins are. How about you? And the fourth one said, well, I have to tell you guys, uh, my, my sin that I have a real problem with is the sin of gossip. And I can't help but leave this place and tell everybody what you three guys are doing. Amen. <laughs> And that's not exactly what confession is, but this morning we are looking at what true heartfelt confession is about. Join me in prayer this morning as we look at this uh, passage of scripture that I pray and the background to this that the Lord would speak to our hearts. Now, Father, this morning our hearts are so blessed and our cups are overflowing this morning when we just think about the songs that have been sung, the choir hymns, the Kirkabee family taking that step of obedience and following the Lord's scriptural baptism. and The many events have transpired this week. And this morning, we humble ourselves before you to tell you, Lord, you are God and God alone. And today, as we kneel here in our hearts and stand here before your presence, we confess we need you. We need you in a, in a fresh and marvelous way. We need you to touch our lives. We need to take things that might seem um difficult to understand and help us to understand them thank you as peter said in second peter chapter 1 verse 21 you have given us a more sure word of prophecy and this morning we pray that the scriptures would open up in our eyes and speak to our hearts and change our lives this morning maybe that someone here today who's not made that acceptance of christ as their savior they'd open their heart and call upon the lord to save them We pray for Christians here today who are struggling with some areas of their life, just like David was, that they would acknowledge that and let the Lord have his way. Thank you this morning. Nobody's here by accident. Lord, by your providence and by your moving, you put us here today so that you could draw us closer to you. Help us to sense your love. Help us to sense your closeness. Move in our lives in a special way. We'll thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been for the last several weeks on a series on prayer, and I hope that it's helped you to help me. We've looked at the principles of prayer, just the rudimentary aspects of prayer. We've looked at the importance of persevering through prayer, that if you want to see your prayers answered, we must come before God uh, repeatedly. And if God doesn't answer you immediately, unless he tells you no, to keep on coming, keep on coming and asking God for his help. We've looked at the power in prayer and how prayer is where God changes the unchangeable. We looked at the importance of boldness in our praying. We've looked at prayer and the importance of faith. We looked at last week prayer and discouragement, how God takes us from the bottom of our circumstances through prayer. He can restore us. We've looked at examples like the prayer of Elijah we've looked at prayers of a nobleman whose son was at the point of death we've looked at the prayer of a father whose son was overrun by demonic entities last week we looked at the prayer of Jonah while he was in the whale of uh, the belly of a whale and this morning we're looking at one of many many prayers that david's recorded in the bible god uh, gave us the privilege of seeing the heart of David. And as you read through the book of Psalms, and even through 1st and 2nd Samuel, you'll see some of those prayers of David. Now the prayers that are recorded there are for our admonition. They are there for example. They are there to help you and me to be encouraged about how to pray. I want to remind you this morning, Prayer is probably the one area most Christians struggle in. First of all, just trying to find time to pray, most Christians struggle with that. Secondly, most Christians struggle with just what to say. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're getting a group of people, to, a bunch of Christians to pray, don't feel embarrassed if you don't know what to say, and don't feel ashamed what, 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 what you're not sure what to do. You just, just go there, and with an honest heart, if it's just one word or two words, you just thank God for who He is, and just go ahead and pray. But a lot of Christians struggle with this area of prayer, and that's why we're on this focus here, because... Prayer is to the Christian what breathing is to the human life there. Now, the prayers of David are important, and Psalm 51 is a very, very important one. This is sometimes called the prayer of confession. As you followed with me as we read this section, and we didn't read the whole chapter, it is a very meticulous prayer. There's no stone that he doesn't leave uncovered. It is a meticulous prayer. It is a microscopic prayer. When you read this prayer, it takes you beneath the surface of seeing a, someone who's very transparent about his life. Microscopically, it helps us to see some things about ourselves that we normally don't look at. For instance, look at verse 6 with me. Turn your attention to verse 6. Verse 6, David made an astounding doctrinal statement, an astounding Christian life statement. He said, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And I'll pause this say something about that a little bit later. But it's microscopic. David, as the king who had control over a lot of things in this kingdom, realized that there was dishonesty in his life before God. It is a prayer that is mandated. This is a prayer that every Christian should make as part of their life. Not this exact prayers David prayed, but there ought to be a prayer of confession in our mouths, in our hearts. My prayer this morning is that you'd have a prayer of confession. And by the way, if you're not saved this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, as these these three who follow the Lord in scriptural baptism, the very first prayer you'll pray is a prayer of confession, because Romans 10, 9 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But this is also model prayer as a mandated prayer. It's a prayer we must make i be honest with you, I think on a daily basis and maybe more than once a day where we just recognize sin in our life and we confess it before God. And we must realize this is a model prayer. This prayer goes way beneath the surface. This prayer helps us to see what real Christianity is all about. This prayer will change your life. This kind of prayer will help you get closer to God. This prayer will help you feel like you're whiter than snow. I want you to notice some things about David and this prayer. First of all, let's go to the background behind this prayer. What led David to pray this prayer? Why did David pray this? Why did the Holy Spirit in His sovereignty and His supreme wisdom decide that this prayer had to be included as smart as Psalm 51? Well, number one, we notice we're going to see in David his scandalous conduct. What led behind this prayer was David's conduct was not what it should have been. It is a prayer confession. Whenever you see anything dealing with confession, underlying that is sinful behavior, a sin that we committed. Now, I want you to be honest with me. Every one of us is a sinner. Say amen. All of us have sin, And don't get to the place where I've got little sins and big sins. Or, or sit in that place as a Pharisee. Well, I thank God I'm not like this. Public. Listen, we have sinned. All sin is bad. Amen? All sin is bad. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And David's going to give us some insight here on the doctrine of sin. In James chapter 1, if you'll turn there. In James chapter 1 verse 13. The Bible gives us some insight about sin. And how susceptible every one of us is. In James chapter 1 verse 13. the, the writer James said this let no man say when he is tempted I am tempted of God for God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth he any man but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed and then when lust has conceived it bringeth forth sin and sin when it is finished it bringeth forth death That tells us right there, the writer James is helping you and me to understand how sin progressively works in our life. How the origins of sin the starting point is sin through temptation. God does not, is not the one who tempts us. God allows us to be tempted, but God is not the one that sends the temptation. Satan is the instigator of the temptation. Your flesh might be the instigator of temptation. The world and its powerful influence the media effects will be the instigator of temptation. God may allow it to see what you're going to do, but God allows because he wants us to know that he's faithful and will enable us to endure that temptation. But when you allow temptation to take its way through lust, evil desires, uh, evil concupiscence, as the Bible calls it that, then what happens when it takes its way? It starts taking control in us, and just like uh, just like uh, uh, rogue cancer cells inside of a person's body that takes off, it overruns your life and it turns into sin. And if we let sin continue in our life, the Bible says it brings forth death. Now we're looking at some things what happened to David, the background to this prayer. First of all, we see David had a moral collapse. The background to this passage, David had a moral collapse. David was a great king. I I hope that you don't miss coming Sunday nights. We've been on a series on 2 Samuel. And man, it's it's starting to escalate. and It's it's some good stuff there in 2 Samuel on doctrine. And Christian living and we're studying 2nd Samuel about David being on the throne and and what and and David David just is a picture of just you and me when we have our victories and you and me when we have our defeats and this was a low point in David's life some believe that David was in his mid-50s maybe even 60 years of age when this incident occurred and during this situation there was a time when Israel was at battle and at war and the Bible specifically says in 2nd Samuel 11 that was a time when kings should go to war David decided to go on retreat for whatever reason David was tired of fighting. He was tired of going to war against the spiritual enemies he had. And he kind of stayed back when all of the soldiers he had, his main men, had gone out. Now, David didn't have improper barriers around his life. Every Christian needs barriers. You need boundaries around your life. A pastor needs boundaries around his life because we're all susceptible to sin. And so David didn't have these boundaries. He's home alone. He's in his palace by himself. And it was around the middle of the day. And he's kind of restless in his heart. I think that morning he just was not as close to God as he could have been. He walked down onto the balcony, on on top of his home, on the roof, got onto a balcony. As he did so, he saw something he shouldn't have seen. He looked over to his neighbor's yard and he saw his neighbor's wife bathing herself out on her roof. Her roof was kind of like in this direction. He's up here and she's down. He looked and immediately as he looked, he got fixated on that. And his, his lustful desires were inflamed within inside of him. And being king, he could do anything he wanted. And he misused his authority as a king. He misused his power. He told some servants that he wanted her to be brought to him. She didn't know what was going on. She had no idea that he was watching her from afar. But he saw enough that his desires inside of him were inflamed. He just saw enough that just his mind was going crazy. He didn't, he didn't let go of that. And his, his manly desires, his youthful desires took the best of him. He ushered her in and basically David said seduced this woman. Her name was Bathsheba. He seduced her. They had illicit relations. And David, at that moment of time, had a major moral collapse in his life. Now, when David did that, there were two commandments that David broke. Commandment number seven that God gave to Moses over in Exodus chapter 20 says thou shall not commit adultery I said this the other night when I was preaching a a couple Sunday nights ago our world the media Christianity has gotten to a place where it's redefining things by giving a different term today Adultery is not used in our vernacular adultery basically means when we have we've broken the bond of marriage marriage is a Covenant it's a covenant between a man and a woman where he pledges his life to her she pledges her life Life to him. But it goes beyond their lives. They're pledging to each other their spirit and their bodies. They're saying, I belong to you, you belong to me. That's why I love what the Bible says in Genesis two twenty four, when God ordained the first marriage between Adam and Eve. He says, a man shall leave his father mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And the Bible says thereafter, in that perfect environment, that Adam and Eve were were naked, but they were not ashamed. Listen, there was just this element about marriage that's holy, and it's pure, and it's right. And so so in marriage, a man and woman belong to each other. When they're pledging that in that covenant, they're basically saying, I realize there are temptations out there, but I belong to you. And I'm not going to allow myself to fall into temptation. And I'm going to do everything I can to protect our marriage and protect ourselves. But when we break, when we cross that forbidden line, when we, ha- when we realize that our lusts have taken hold of us, and if we cross that forbidden line, when we have in a relationship we should not have with someone other than our spouse, the Bible calls that adultery. And the seventh commandment says, thou shall not commit adultery. We live in a society where adultery is downplayed. Adultery is called an affair. It's called a, 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 a just a, a one-time fling or something like that. And people just say, get over it. No, you don't get over it. You have to realize it is a sin against Almighty God. It's a sin against your spouse. And regardless of what society says, the Bible still has not changed on that concept there. And so the seventh commandment says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But David broke another commandment. In the tenth commandment, it says, thou shalt not covet. Now, covet is to desire something that belongs to someone else. It's looking as to what somebody else has. Their talent, their assets, their gifts, whatever it may be. He said, I want what they have there. It's a desire that crosses a forbidden line there too. And Moses, as he was given instruction by God, the tenth commandment God is very explicit Of what you're not to covet And among those things He said Thou shalt not covet Thy neighbor's wife Why did God put that there? Because God saw What was going on With the men of Israel The men of Israel They were sinful men They were coveting Their neighbor's wives There were men in the, Within the camp of Israel That were committing adultery And things like that And it had been untouched there So God had to bring Some order to the nation He had to establish Some spiritual order for that So He gave them The ten commandments And by the way The ten commandments Have been pillars That have undergone undergirded society for many many years and they were the undergirding of our society here the start of the uh, the the uh, of the united states here but david as we go back to them david broke two commandments right there david had a moral collapse and by the way before we look with disdain upon david and say with the with the pharisaical life well david should have known better and done that that could have been you and that could have been me that may have been you and that may have been someone else there i'm just saying this morning we need to realize that all of us are susceptible with that type of situation david had a moral collapse but it gets even uh, worse than that. The thick even plot even uh, the, the thick uh, the, the plot thickens even more so. David not only had a moral collapse, but notice as we go a little bit further in this, there was a murderous conspiracy. David is, is thinking that nobody knows what he did. David is thinking that he and Bathsheba could get away with this one-night affair that they had, this one-night relationship. She comes back to him. She sends a message to him. And she says, David, uh, we got a little bit of a problem here. And he said, what's the problem? She said, I've conceived. In other words, that that one-night uh, 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 relationship they had, she conceived. She is now pregnant with his child. And uh, she's she's married to another man. And she's pregnant with his child. And things are going crazy because now they realize, "Uh oh, that means a scandal is going to come out. I mean, people are going to realize we've got a scandal here and they're going to realize what I've done here. And you have to understand back in the Old Testament days to enforce uh, that, that people would be, would, 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 would keep their relationships pure in their marriages. God commanded in the book of Leviticus that if adultery occurred, that they were to take the sin, sinning man and sin, sinning woman, and they were to stone them outside the camp there. They were to take them outside as punishment, as consequences for their sin, of their unrepentance. They would have to be stoned there. So David's thinking, man, I could be subject to the elders of Israel. I can get stoned, and she's going to get stoned, and things of that nature. It gets even more thicker than that. Now we have this problem of adultery. We have this problem of covetousness. We have this problem... Of the fact that she's conceived, we have a problem. With the fact that this woman's husband happens to be one of David's friends this happens to be Uriah the Hittite Uriah is listed in 2nd Samuel 23 as one of David's mighty men he's one of great David's warriors he's one of his entrusted men he's one of the men that ran to David at the cave of Adullam over in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 and a man that needed help from David and he swore his life to protecting David and helping David and Uriah was fighting a battle and while Uriah's away David took advantage of his neighbor and had a relationship with his wife he never should have had man this is a messed up situation you say pastor that sounds like a terrible soap opera. Yeah, it sounds like a soap opera, but this is real humanity. And so David's panicking. And he's thinking, what am I going to do? And this evil thought came to his mind. I know what I'm going to do. He gets a piece of parchment. He writes instructions to his general, whose name is Joab. We work our way through 2 Samuel we'll learn some things about Joab. And he says, Joab, I want you to take Uriah the Hittite. We've got a battle that's going on out there, and it's a very heated battle. I want you to put him in the most fiercest part of the battle, which is basically the front lines. I want you to put him where courageous men stand and would know that they're going to die on the front line. And he says, when you put Uriah there, I want you to give a command to all the other men to withdraw themselves at the sound of a certain trumpet. He says, a certain sound. I want you to tell those men to withdraw themselves. So Uriah is fighting that battle. David is now involved with a murderous conspiracy and he's the one that's propagating this conspiracy. So Joab gets this. Joab's putting two and two together. What happens there? He realizes what David David's done. there are servants in the house who was david knows what david's done but they're afraid to say anything so now Joab just goes out he puts uriah there by instruction uriah has no idea what's going on in between all that david beckoned uriah to come home hoping that uriah would spend a night with his wife and would cover that up but uriah was such a loyal man uriah didn't do such a thing so therefore david went to his last his, his, his last option he put him over there on the front lines and as the men withdrew and the battle was fierce uriah was killed in the line of duty Man, we got some problems here. Because not only did David break the 7th commandment, not only did God, David break the 10th commandment, David now has, has broken the 6th commandment. The 6th commandment is, Thou shall not kill. David is guilty of murder that was premeditated. It was premeditated murder on his part. I mean, we see David now in this situation. He has a moral collapse... He has a murderous conspiracy. And then we notice something else behind the scandalous context. There is a meditated concealment. David tries to cover all this up. He puts Uriah on the front line. Uriah is killed. David's thinking, my hands are clean. I can wash my hands from it. Who cares Who people know? The people, the few people that know what's going on has some suspicion. They're not going to tell on me anyway. And so David goes on. Uriah's been dead for a short period of time. Probably not even a week or two weeks. And he beckons sends a servant to the home of Uriah and he says, I want you to bring Bathsheba to me and he takes Bathsheba as his wife as if nothing happened and now people suspected a scandal like they're really thinking in their minds, something's going on here but we don't know what to do and David thinks, now I can take Bathsheba as my wife, it's still soon enough in this relationship nobody's going to think that she conceived before all this and he says, I've got this covered up and David now has broken another one because David has broken commandment number nine, commandment number nine says thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor, David was being deceived deceitful and dishonest to people around him, people in the kingdom, his closest advisors to Joab and to Bathsheba and even to Uriah, who maybe even Uriah had the suspicion David did something, but out of loyalty, he did not question him. I mean, David is in this big, big mess that he's in. You say, man, that sounds pretty bad. It's really bad. David has a scandalous conduct. Now to go to Psalm 51 with me with that background. Notice his stressful conscience. David's living a life of unconfessed sin. Bathsheba's in her third trimester. She's about to give birth to this baby. Having a baby is a wonderful thing. Having a baby is a joyful moment. But in that third trimester, maybe even in that ninth month, God sends a man of God whose name is Nathan to David. Nathan comes to David and David had nothing but fond respect for Nathan. He had reverential respect for this man. He always let Nathan come into his presence because he knew he had a message from God. And Nathan said, I need to come to talk to you about an incident in our kingdom. He said, sure, Nathan, tell me about the incident. And Nathan weaves this parable together, this story, which talks about a man, a very poor man, who had a lamb that he considered his pet. And he said how this man loved this lamb, he kept it close to his bosom, he fed this lamb, he took care of his lamb, he was just a great lover of this lamb. In fact, he had no, he had no inclination that this lamb would ever become a, a sacrifice. You know, that he just this would be his pet. He had a bond closest to his lamb. And he said some people came by and took that lamb and killed it and had no regard for it. And as, as Nathan is describing the story that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David, there was a piece of righteousness in David that just kind of ignited himself in righteous indignation. He became very angry. And he said whoever those people are, they need to be brought to justice. They took an innocent man's lamb and killed that lamb. They shouldn't have. They've got to make payment. They've got there's some consequences they have to suffer. And as David David is pronouncing all this, he has no idea the parable is talking about him. The parable is talking about what David had done against Bathsheba and Uriah. And immediately Nathan the prophet with courageous boldness, with boldness that only the Holy Spirit could give, he pointed his bony finger at that man, at David and he says, thou art the man. He said, but David you're the man. You're the one who's committed this transgression. You're the man that's committed this iniquity. And all of a sudden, it's as if the scales were taken off his eyes. It's as if the curtain was lifted up. It's as if that just the, he was taken out of darkness and light was unveiled. David sees for the very first time in nine months that David has been living with unconfessed sin in his life. And at that moment in time, we find that there's going to be, from there until we get to the end of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, David is going to record a minimum of three Psalms that describe his situation. Psalms 51, Psalms 38, Psalms 32. Now notice, David's conscience has been touched. David's conscience has been pricked. Your conscience is a moral compass. Your conscience, you are born with a conscience. Your conscience Tells you right from wrong Listen, animals don't have a conscience That's why evolution is not true People are born with a conscience. God is your creator. God made you in His image. made, made in the image of God. We have a conscience. When, when, the, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created in innocence. When they sinned, their conscience kicked in. They knew right from wrong. Your conscience tells you what's right from wrong. You don't have to have a course on sin to know what's right from wrong. You know it's wrong. A little baby has a conscience enough to know when their mother looks at them sternly when they've done something wrong. Tears come down the baby's eyes because they know they're in disfavor with mom or with dad. And David's conscience Kicked in big time at that moment, and he's under incredible stress. He's under incredible duress at that moment of time. He's feeling pressure in his soul. He's realizing one thing: I have been found out. God knows my sin, and God's known my sin all along. And so, notice with me, if you would, and either by turning to Psalm thirty-eight or into your notes. As David's heart is racing a mile a minute, his heart is palpitating with increased beasts and his soul feels an incredible burden deep within. Notice in Psalms 38 in the first nine verses, we have a record of what's going on in David's conscience. He is stressed out big time. I mean, there's a stressful conscience, David. He's feeling like, man, if they know about it, my soldiers are going to know about it. And the elders of Israel are going to know about it. And the prophet of God's know about it. And he says, man, I, I I am in a big heap of mess right here. And notice what David's saying. And it wasn't the fact he got found out more than anything else. He realized that he'd been living in sin and he'd been living a lie for nine months. And he needed to get this right with God. But he didn't know what to do. So notice Psalm 38 verse 1. Oh, Lord. Rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presses me sore. Listen, when Nathan the prophet pointed his bony finger at David, he said, "Thou art the man." It's as if from heaven's heights, God commissioned some angels to take some arrows out of their quivers, and those arrows of holiness were aimed at him. And those arrows were let go, and the arrows made their way to heart, his heart, and it struck his heart, and it struck his heart, and it struck his heart. He thought about the fact God brought to his mind, "You broke the sixth commandment, David. You broke the seventh commandment, David. You broke." You broke the ninth commandment, David. You broke the tenth commandment, David. David, you murdered a man. You murdered a man who, gave it, who would have given his life for you anyway. David, you took another man's wife. David, you did wrong. You broke all the major commandments. If anybody knew better, you should have known better. And so David is confessing right now, Thy arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presses me sore. Notice verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. He's saying, I feel discouraged. I feel down. My health is run down. I think it's reread verse 3. Notice what he says. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin there was restlessness he couldn't sleep at night he lost his appetite down deep inside we'll read about this in Psalms 32 he confesses what he was feeling there was the drought of summer his soul was depleted and dried up he had not had an honest time with God listen you can live in sin and, and, and lead yourself to believe everything's okay but you can still pray and read your Bible but if your conscience is not pricked you're far from God if God's word is not touching you're far from God but David's saying man there's no soundness in my flesh because of thy anger neither are there any rest." my bones because of my sin. Verse 4 For my iniquities are gone over my head. And it's a heavy burden... <coughs> It's a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee and my groaning is not hid from thee. This is not a man complaining that life is bad. And this is not a man who's upset because someone has died This is a man under deep and heavy spiritual conviction Because the Spirit of God had convinced him That he was living with unconfessed sin in his life He had murdered someone That's capital punishment He committed adultery That was capital punishment He was he had been given a false report to people he loved And he knew I mean he was living in a mess You talk about having a messed up life David was having a messed up life As we read Psalms 38 and Psalms 51 You had a stressed out conscience For nine months, David denied his conscience. He just pretended there's nothing wrong. I married her anyway, so it's okay. He denied his conscience. Not only did he deny his conscience, he defiled his conscience. He was living with what the Bible calls an evil conscience. Not only did he deny his conscience, not only did he defile his conscience, he's feeling the distress of his conscience. Years ago, if you pick up the Guinness Book of World Records or look at the history that you'll read the story about a woman named Fiona Campbell. Fiona Campbell became famous for walking around the world. She did this. She made this pledge. I'm going to walk around the world. Wherever there's solid ground, I'm going to walk around the world. And. She received national or worldwide attention. She became a celebrity. People say, wow, this woman, she's just a short statue. Who would have imagined Fiona Campbell? Who she was a nobody and instantaneously as the Guinness World Records gave this announcement, this woman had walked around the world and all the She covered thousands and thousands of square miles, but something was going on in Fiona Campbell's heart. So, you see, Fiona Campbell, after she was awarded this distinguishment being recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records, she finally went to the people who wrote the guinness book of world records and told them i have to tell you something she said i don't deserve this award." they said what do you mean you don't deserve this award she said i have to confess confessed to you, i cheated they said what do you mean you cheated and she showed them where it said in their book that she should not use any 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 substitutionary means of trying to break the record and basically she confessed to them and told them that she had basically in certain parts of the journey she had gotten a she had co- commissioned for a truck to meet be stationed somewhere and basically got onto a truck and it drove her a certain point she did not walk an entire uh, that entire uh, journey that she said she'd done, she had indicated she had cheated. Her her word was taken away from her, and she said this: "I shouldn't remember it as the first woman to walk around the world." She said, "I cheat against people, and my conscience is bother me, and I can't live with my conscience because of that." I want to tell you this morning: God gave you and me a conscience. The worst thing we do to our conscience is to ignore our conscience, to say it's not true, to say it's not real. Or maybe it will go away. Maybe that feeling will go away. And we think it can go away there. I'm going to ask you this evening, this morning. Don't allow your conscience to become seared. And don't let your conscience become callous and hard. And don't get to the place where you just have to you think you can cover it up listen let us not be like david when we get into a situation where our sin winds up finding us out and we're indicted for a scandalous conduct like david i mean david was living with a stressful conscience i'm just saying this morning maybe today you've been living with a conscience that's been bothered for a period of time about something in your life god has been speaking to you about a something you need to do it might be this morning you have never accepted jesus christ as your savior you're coming to church week after week and praise the lord for that and you know it's time to get saved and the spirit's been speaking to you and I encourage you this morning, don't put off what the Holy Spirit is putting on your conscience. Accept Jesus Christ today. Get saved today. Realize God loves you. God doesn't want you to spend eternity now. God wants you to be saved and to spend eternity in heaven with Him. If God has been speaking to your conscience about anything, obey your conscience. Obey the fact that God is working you, that you not have a conscience. You continue putting things off and become seared and callous in your way. We see David and his scandalous conduct. That's the background of Psalm 51. We see David in his stressful conscience. That gives an understanding where David's coming from. Notice in Psalm 51, we see his sorrowful confession. This is a prayer. And I imagine as I read this, and I've read it many times, David's crying. David is a 55, 60-year-old man crying about the fact he messed up big time. And he thought he could hide it from God. David knows he's been living with concealment. And he must, he's been running from God. He knows they, God has been pressing upon his soul to make full confession of his sin. As we get into this subject this morning, I want you to understand something. Confession is an honest An unabbreviated acknowledgement of sin and wrong in our life. An admission is saying you've been caught and you just say, yeah, I did it. But there's no remorse in your heart. A confession when we openly say, I did wrong. Everything's on the table. I want to be truthful with you. What's going on in my life? And a lot of times I think because of the society we live in, maybe the pressures you have from family and other people. There's a sense of us that we're, maybe for some of us, we just don't feel like we can do something like that. We're too proud. We're like, you know, you don't understand what this will do to my career. You don't understand what this will do to my reputation. You don't understand what this will do to my family. I do understand. I know it hurts, but we have to understand something. We don't understand what that's doing to God. We're living before God, a holy and righteous God, with a sin in our life that's unconfessed. And so notice David's prayer confession. It may be today that we, we see this, this confession as a very meticulous one. One that's mandated that we must confess our sins before God. And one that's a model for you and me this morning that gives us an encouragement that God does not turn us away. Notice in Psalms 51, David comes to God openly. Listen, without confession, God will not hear our prayers. Without confession, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without confession, we are living in the defilement of sinful behavior. What do we see about this? First of all, notice David's disclosure confession A true confession is when there's an unwithheld disclosure about sin. Now, whenever we have some pretty savvy buyers in our room here. We have some pretty savvy consumers some people. And I'm kind of impressed with a lot of our folks in church that when it comes to buying things, they read the fine print. they They do like what you should do as a good consumer. They read the exclusions and limitations. They want to know what the warranty says. They want to know what's not covered. They want to know what happens if it breaks down. They read all the fine print. They want to know that and you should do this as a good consumer. Thank God for all the good sales points, but find out about the things that it doesn't provide. And you know, a lot of times what we're asking for is when we buy something or enter into a contract, we want full disclosure. We don't want to find out after the fact, how come you didn't tell me that beforehand? We want to have open disclosure. And David's been living a life where he wants God to do everything for him, but now he realizes that he is not giving full disclosure to God. Now at this Psalm, Psalm 51, God, D- David is making a confession to God. It is an unwithheld, a truthful disclosure about his sin. Notice some things he says here in Psalm 51. First of all, verses 1 and 3, he talks about my transgression. A lot of times we get bent on our shape about other people's sins. Let me help you and me this morning. Before we get upset about somebody else's sins, let's get upset about our sins. Can I hear an amen? We need to get upset about our sins and not worry about somebody else. We've got to avoid being like that Pharisee who stood in the open court of the temple and says, God, I thank you, I'm not like that publican there who's living in sin. No, we need to have the spirit of this publican who said, Lord, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. And David's not talking about what Uriah did and what Joab did and what Bathsheba did. He said, I'm the one that's messed up. He said, my transgression in verses 1 and 3. Notice in verses 2, 3 four and nine. He talks four times about my sin. Notice in verse four, he says this evil notice in verse two, my iniquity. Notice in verse six, he disclosed in verse six, he says, behold, he says, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He's confessing there. He's been dishonest and he's covered up. Notice in verse six, he confesses he's been foolish. He's been living in a delusional world. He says in the hidden part, thou makest me to know wisdom. He said, I've been delusional. The Bible tells us, 1 John 1, 7, that, 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 that if we, 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 we act as if we didn't, then we're living in dishonesty before God and being self-righteous there. And David was living with delusion there. And uh, later, then as we go on, notice verse 14. He says this. He said in verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. Stop there. You know what he's saying there? He could look at his hands. He says, my hands are dripping with the blood of Uriah. He says, my hands are guilty of killing this man. He says, God, please forgive me. Deliver me, dear God, from blood guiltiness. In verse 6, he talked about the fact that he concealed his sin. In in another verse, he talked about this evil. He was talking about breaking the 7th and 10th commandments. And now he's talking about, in verse 14, this murder that he did. David is confessing to God, I have messed up, and he's calling his sin exactly what it is. He didn't call it in generality. He was calling it by specifics. God, I have done evil. I have transgressed, I've committed iniquity, I've done sin God, I've done wrong against you. David is making an open disclosure David confesses he's filthy. He asked several times, wash me, cleanse me. David confesses he has fallen. David confesses he's out of fellowship. We see David's disclosure. Listen, true confession in our lives, may God help us this morning true confession in our lives begins with an open disclosure. We not only see David's disclosure in his confession but notice David's despair David's bothered. His despair is pointing to his penitence and his remorse. Look at verse 1, please. He starts off this psalm. After Nathan has confronted him. And with a sobbing voice. A broken heart. A defiled conscience. A wounded spirit. Have mercy. Listen, you don't want justice when you sinned. You want mercy, amen? You want God's pity on you. You want God's sympathy. You realize it's the God of heaven you are sending it. Have mercy upon me, O oh God. God, please have mercy upon me. And we look a little bit further than he talked about the tender mercies of God. Verse 1, he's acknowledging, he's confessing, he's guilty and in need of mercy. Notice in verses 1 and 2, he tells God that he's defiled and he needs purifying. He says, have mercy upon me, O oh God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. David's first rule of thumb was, man, I got to get clean. I feel like I'm dirty. I feel like I'm defiled. I feel like I'm polluted. I'm contaminated. Lord, I need cleansing. I need washing. Oh, may God help us this morning as the children of God, as members of the family of God, as people who've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, Christ who died for all our sins. May we have that same sense of remorse in our hearts to say, God, wash. Watch me from my sins. Have mercy upon me, O God. And against thee and thee alone have I sinned. May God help us to sense a remorse in our heart. May God know that we, we sense our guiltiness there. And notice something else here. David realizes he's hurt people. He's been a stumbling block to his servants. He's been a stumbling block to his soldiers. He's been a stumbling block to his managers. He's been a stumbling block to the elders of Israel. He's been a stumbling block to Nathan. He's been a stumbling block to many people. And I'll tell you this morning, when we sin and mess up, we're a stumbling block to people. Hey, parents, that's why it's important. If you're a parent, you want to live as close to God as you can, because you don't want to be a stumbling block to your children. And you don't want to be a stumbling block to your husband or your wife. They want to know, and you want to know, that you're living the kind of life that the Bible speaks about. And David realizes he's hurt people. But notice in verse 4, he realizes more than hurting people. He's grieved the Spirit of God. Look at verse 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judge. Just... Hey, and when's the last time, Christian friend and brother sister in Christ, when's the last time we were so gripped with, we are so overcome by our sin, we realize in our heart of hearts, we sinned against the creator of the universe. We sinned against the Savior who gave his life for our sin, We sinned against the God who loved all the world that he gave his son to die for. Us. When was the last time we were impressed with such a guiltiness that we sinned against our God who loves us there? In verse 4, he speaks about God being justified when he speaks. I think David, uh, Paul puts it this way. Let God be true and every man a liar. He says, God, I've lied to you and I've lived a life. of I've been covering up. I lived a life of deceit. Notice in verse 8. In verse 8, he talks about having lost his joy and his gladness. Look at verse 11. Notice in verse 11, he talks about the fact that there was a wedge in his fellowship with God. He said in verse 11, Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In verse 8, he knows he, he acknowledges he's broken inside. He says that the bones which thou hast broken, he's broken inside. And mainly he was the one that broke those bones. But, he, but God allowed that to happen. He was broken inside about his sin. I'm just saying this morning, we see David in his disclosure, but David's in his despair. He knows he's out of fellowship with God. He's broken his heart that he sinned against the Lord. Listen, he's in despair, but notice something else. Notice David talks about his disgrace. I've preached some messages in the past where we can't get away from the fact the Bible does not cover up sin. And by the way, just to tell you this, the average church today really doesn't talk about sin. But sin's in the Bible. Sin's in the Bible. The wages of sin is death. And Davis says something that should strike a chord in our hearts. In fact, it should strike a major chord. He said in verse 4 again, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Then notice verse 9 with me, please. Hide thy face from my sins. Notice he pluralizes that. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out. All my iniquities. David knows he's disgraced himself. David feels a shame. David acknowledges he's hurt the Lord's testimony. Hide thy face from my sins. I've said this in many sermons I've preached about sin in the past. We must be very careful, beloved. We allow sin to have domination in our life what happens in that case is, number one, there's no shame. And when there's no shame, we must be careful. Secondly, there's no stopping. Because if we think we can get away one time, we'll do it again and again and again. That's why pornography and sins like that are very addictive because a person feels a sense of shame overwhelmingly what they've done because they know if somebody found them out, they would be considered a very, very very questionable character. But when they find out they haven't been caught, their conscience becomes numb and number and number. And all of a sudden, they go from no shame... To no stopping to where there's no sense. They do things that don't even make sense in their lives. I've watched Christians over the years who've gotten off in some place. Or it's people that are unsafe. You get off in a place and you kind of scratch your head wondering what is going on with them. There's no shame. There's no stopping. There's no sense. And David, fortunately for him, the work of God was in his heart. God was working him. And God realized, David realized that moment of time, that there was shame in his life for what he did. David, we see David in his disgrace. But notice one other thing this morning. We see David in his disclosure. We see David in his despair. We see David in his disgrace. But notice in verses 10 to 15. In this confession. Notice David in his desire. You know what a confession is? It's not just saying to God. God I know I've messed up. And God, I, I need your forgiveness. and I need, my, I need these, I, 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 I realize I've done sin. But there's a desire in our heart. You know what confession is? Confession is saying, God, I, I want to be restored in fellowship with you. Confession is saying, God, I need back that relationship we had. God, I need your forgiveness. I need God to work in my life. And notice David recognizes, we go through verses 10 to 15 very quickly. David recognizes there's some things that he's cast aside, some things that he's lost, some things that are missing in his life. And by the way, maybe this morning as we're going through this passage, maybe you realize there's some things missing in your life, some things have been cast aside, things, some things we've disregarded, been neglected for. And so notice David is his desire. What is David praying for in this prayer of confession? What should we be praying for? Notice in verse 10, David prays for purity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Number one, more than anything else, we should desire a life that is pure before God. We want God to purify us. You know, um, I'm kind of a person that when I clothes get dirty... I, even as a spot there, I want to get it clean immediately. I just want it clean. And David felt like I just got lots of spots in my soul. Lots of spots beneath the surface nobody sees but God. I need purification. And maybe this morning, just as we sang before the offering, we would pray, God, wash me that I'll be whiter than snow. Because really, God desires that we be pure. And our desire for truly saved is that we are pure. David prayed that he would be pure. Notice in verse 10 again, David prayed that he'd be pleasing. He said in verse 10, renew a right spirit within me. Watch what happens. When we sin, we don't have a good spirit. And what I mean by that, our attitude's messed up. When we're living in sin, just watch it. Our attitude's messed up. We're not thankful. We're complaining. We're murmuring. We're looking at other people with a jaundice eye. We're being hypocritical. We're being Pharisees. We're looking at the moat in somebody else's eye, not realize there's a beam in our eye. Well, The spirit's all messed up. There's there's envies and jealousies and bitterness and anger and wrath and malice. You get angry with God. You get angry with the preacher. You get angry with your spouse. get angry with your children. And David's saying here, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. Verse 10, he's basically saying, Lord, I need a life that's pleasing before God and before man. He's desiring purity. He's desiring to be pleasing. Notice in verse 11, he's desiring the presence of God again. Notice in verse 11, he's desiring the Lord's power again. He says, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Back in those days, the Holy Spirit of God was tempering the life of believers. He would come upon believers for special purposes, special services. Thank God today, because of Christ's death on the cross and the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and he never leaves us, but we need his power still. And so David is saying here, Lord, I need back your presence and Lord, I need back your power. I'm going to tell you this morning, if it's been a long season since you've seen God do It's been a long season since you've seen answers to prayer It's been a long season since you have peace heart. It might be there's some unconfessed sin That we need to bring before God as David did David not only did that Notice in verses 12 and 14 David prayed for peace within He realized there was unrest in his soul He realized that he needed help from God And he prayed for the peace of God The Lord's peace He said restore to me the joy of thy salvation Uphold me with thy free spirit David desired peace Notice in verse 13 He desired the Lord's purpose again Listen when you're out of fellowship with God And we're living in sin the purposes of God become cloudy and we get, we get misconstrued in what we're doing and our priorities get messed up and we don't see purpose in our life. But David was praying that he get his purposes back. He said in verse 13 Then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Listen, he stopped being an influence for right. He stopped being an influence for holiness. He stopped being an influence for the kingdom of God. And I'm saying this morning, it might be for a lot of Christians who've been here for a long time in church. You used to be a soul winner. You used to give a gospel track out. You used to have an influence for Christ but you've let everything get in the way and instead of pursuing the things of God, you're not, no longer have a burden to serve. So listen, when pastor gets up and says, we are having a burden for missions on, on, on October, August 19th. We're having a so marathon. A church that walks with God is under the blood of Jesus Christ. Should embrace it with love and enthusiasm. And say, amen, we're going so many. And amen, we're having a mission. But when we don't have that enthusiasm, that's an indicator of that something's wrong there. That there may be an unconfessed sin in our life. And David's saying, your God, I need a restoration of your purpose in my life. Then notice verse 15. Oh, this is so important. He said, oh, Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. You know what David's saying there? Lord, I need to sing your praises once again. Man, when things are going good with God, we just love to sing his praises. I I just like the, the attitude a lot of our new believers have. They come to church, they say, I don't know a whole lot, but I sure like singing around here. I love when we have congregation singing. I love when the choir sings. I love when we have special music. I love when we just get to talk about the Lord. I like when there's a testimony. Praise God that he saved me from my sins. And praise God that God's working my life. Praise God for a verse that God gave me. And David's saying, man, it's been a long time. It's been nine months since God. Uh, my lips have been opened and my mouth has showed forth thy praise. And I wonder this morning if we've been filled with a spirit of discontentment where instead of praise, there's been complaining. Instead of thanking God, we, there's murmuring in our hearts. Maybe there's something that's been missing. I'm just saying this morning, we need to get back to a place where David and his desire He prayed for all of those things And foremost of that in closing that in verse 15 He prayed for praises in his life Now let me say this before I close this morning We may not have committed sins as grievous as David But the fact is Any sin is grievous to God Are you honest? Do people around you think that you're honest? Because as an honest Christian This should be your prayer And my prayer and it is mine. Search me. O oh God. And know my heart. And if need be. Try me. And see if there be any wicked way. Inside of me. We see David. In a sorrowful confession. We've seen David with a stressful conscience. We've seen David had a scandalous conduct. As we close this morning. There's some good news I have for you this morning. Notice David experiences a satisfying cleansing. Aren't you glad about that this morning? I want you to turn to Psalms 32 and we're done. David experiences a satisfying cleansing. In Psalms 32, God heard him. In Psalms 32, God forgave him. In Psalms 32, God cleansed him. In Psalms 32, God restored him. That prayer confession of Psalms 51, we see the end result of that Psalms 32, because David said this: Blessed or happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Hey, that's shouting ground this morning. David saying, "Man, my sins are forgiven." transgression is the word which means to cross a forbidden line. I crossed a forbidden line, but guess what? God forgave me. He said, he talked about his sin and the word for sin means to miss the mark. He said, my sin's been covered. Covered by what? He's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ there. He's talking about here in verse 2, the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. The word imputation is a financial term. It means to put on the account of another person. He said, my sins are not held against me. They were put on the account of another person and that other person Jesus Christ. The doctrine of imputation means our sins have been taken on by someone else. Someone else is enduring the consequence of our sin. Jesus has taken your sins and mine. And he said in whose spirit there is no guile. He says no more do I have this heaviness. No more is there this complaining. No more is this murmuring. No more is this discontentment. He said there is no guile in my mouth. He said I am free from the burden of sin. I am free from the power of sin. I am free from the sin's captivity. God has set me free. And Dave is expressing here. He has been Washed. He's been forgiven. He's not being held responsible anymore for his sins. He's freed from all his deceitfulness. David's saying here, he's happy once again. The prayer of confession. God put the foot to the pedal and gave David the cleansing. Forget as he needed. And I have some good news for you this morning. If you just come to Jesus and come to God and say, God, I confess I've sinned against you, you've brought some things to mind. I'm going to tell you this morning the Bible says that we know that the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, him we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us but it says but if we confess our sins to him he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." listen it ought to be an amen this morning god is faithful and god is so just that he's willing to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. isn't that great this morning we see a man with a sorrowful conscience in psalms 38 and a man, is son, 51, who's guilty of scandalous conduct, coming to a holy and righteous God. And David, if any man deserved to be punished, and any man ever deserved to be chastened with David, but David comes to God just as you and I can come to God in mercy. And listen, the scent of sin and the smell of sin was no longer on him. And the taint of sin no longer was going to mess with him because God had forgiven him. And God gave him a new path to start. And he said, happy, happy, contented, wonderful is the man whose transgression is forgiven. I'm going to tell you this morning, If you're living under the burden of sin that's pressed you down and make you feel lower and make you feel lower and you're running away, you're trying to escape. Don't try to escape. Don't try to run. Don't be under this burden. Come to the Savior who will forgive you of all your sin and say this morning, I need that forgiveness, that washing, that cleansing, that it only can come from God alone. Robert Bruce was a very famous man in Scotland. Robert Bruce would eventually become the king over all of Scotland. In that 14th century, before he became king, those who were in opposition to hateful Robert Bruce decided one day they were just were going to try to take him by surprise. They took his own hunting bloodhounds, which knew his scent. And word got to Robert Bruce, and said, You better run, and you better escape. You better get away as far as you can because they're coming after you and they're coming with one desire. They want to kill you. They've got your own bloodhounds which know your scent. You better run. Robert Bruce started running through forests. He started running through rocks and ridges. He was going everywhere he can, but he couldn't out-distance could himself. He realized, in a matter of time, my dogs are going to pick up my scent. And in that matter of time, my dogs are going to find me. And in a matter of time, those enemies are going to catch me, and they're going to put me through the grill. They're going to kill me. And they, Robert Bruce started thinking, because he knew the Scottish landscape very well, he started thinking about this ridge he was going through. He said, oh, there's a river over here. If I can make it way to the river, I'm going to cross that river. And it was at a time when the, the river was flowing a little bit more, 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 more quickly than it, that normally people would pass by. But he said, I can make it. I've gone across the river many times before. And several of his men there with him said, said, Mr. Bruce, you can't make it. You won't make it. He said, we will make it. We will make it. We're going to get across it. They said, well, let's try to find another way. He said, no, follow me. This is the right way. He said, I promise you that, that once we cross that river, those dogs will never find us again. And they made their way through those treacherous waters. It seemed a little bit dangerous that they were unsure of their footing, but they made their way across the river. And as they got to the other side, they kept on running. Well, eventually, the pursuers came with those bloodhounds. The bloodhounds are barking away, and they're hot on the trail. They can smell the scent. But as soon as they came to the banks of the side of the water where he crossed, they came to those banks, and all of a sudden, they realized they'd lost the scent. The scent had been carried away way down the river by the water. The water had carried the scent away. They lost the scent. And as Robert Bruce make, made his way, they could never pursue him again. They never would follow him again because of the fact that the scent was lost. And I'm telling you this morning, the moment you got, the moment you get saved and know Jesus Christ, the Savior... God forgives you and forgets you of all your sins. Your sins cannot come back and condemn you. They're no longer condemned. Once you're saved, you're always saved. We thank God this morning. The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses from all sin. When Christ died on the cross for your sins, He died for your sins past. He died for your sins present. He died for your sins future. And you can rest assured this morning, you can find forgiveness with God each and every day, no matter what it may be. And we must understand this morning, God does not classify sins by small and by great, but we must understand all sins are grievous before God. And we must adapt and adopt this pre- psalm that david prayed in psalm 51 to confess our sins in because why as we do so the scent of sin doesn't follow us as we cross over that river and we get to the other side god forgives us of our sins he says in his word in hebrews chapter 10 and their sins and iniquities i will remember no more and this morning you can come and find freedom and you can come and find forgiveness and you can come and find a watch and cleansing from god why because god in his very word promises that he'll give that to you this morning if you're not saved this morning i urge you And I urge you today, come to Christ this morning. Get your sins forgiven. Come today and realize today can be your second birthday. Come today and realize before the month of July is over, you've settled with God, that you've gotten your sins forgiven. Your name is written in heaven, and you've become a child of God. I invite you this morning to come to know Jesus as your Savior. I invite you this morning, Christian, to get out of the seat of complacency and tell God, Lord, there's some things you brought before my face and to my heart that need to be confessed. And I want to make that right with you. And I don't want to be a stumbling block to other people. And I realize against you and you alone have I sinned and maybe just the shame in our heart would grip us to the fact that we don't want to go down this downward progression of no shame and no, no, no stopping and no sense. No, we want to get to the place where there's cleansing and there's forgiveness and there's spiritual healing in our life. Come to God this morning. This psalm of confession by David was written there to help you and I to have a closeness with God and those very things David prayed for. May you pray for this morning. And may I pray for this morning for restoration and our fellowship with God. Father, this morning, thank you for being a loving and faithful God. We're in 1 John one nine. If we confess, and Lord, the conditions placed on us deliver us, Lord, from our false humility and our sinful pride. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just as David came to the realization he could not cover up his sins. Touch our conscience this morning to realize we cannot cover up our sins as well there too. It may not be that there's a scandalous conduct that's happened here. But it very well be there's been sinful conduct. And that sinful conduct has resulted in a stressful conscience. And I know that, Lord, you call us this morning to have a sorrowful confession. I pray this morning, as the invitation is made, believers, sons of God, those who profess are Christians would say, Lord, it's been a long time since I've had a cleansing. It's been a long time since I've had God's forgiveness. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. David was admitting he was dishonest. David was admitting he was living a fraudulent life. God, people can fool me. And they can fool other Christians. But they can't fool you. And David said against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Father, deliver us, first of all, from the sin of pride. We sit here wondering who else is going to go. We sit here thinking, well, I'll put it off to a more convenient time. But, Lord, I pray you'd help us deliver us from that false way of thinking and come with contriteness, come with remorse, come with brokenness and say, Lord, I need purity. I need to be pleasing. I need your purposes. I need your power. I need, Lord, I need to have your praises in my mouth. Lord, would you put that in our hearts this morning? Help us to come in droves today. To help get that right. Whether we're young or whether we're old. Whether we're married or we're not or, or unmarried. Whatever our condition may be. Lord help us to come this morning. Sinners need to come today. There are people here today who need Christ as Savior. Your heads bowed in nice closed. Who would say this morning. Pastor Fong. I'm not 100% sure I'm saved. I don't know if I die today. If I'm going to heaven. But I want to know. I want to have a testimony like Jerry Kirkabee. Like Evelyn and Michelle Kirkaby. Who can point to a distinct time and place when sorrow of heart, they called upon the name of the Lord and they were saved. And you would say this morning, Pastor, I need to get saved this morning. I'm not saved, but I want to get saved. Would you pray for me? You'd raise your hand and honestly say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. I know I need to get saved. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? You'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to get saved. I need to get saved. You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Christian friends this morning, I'm not going to ask for hands. I think God spoke to all of us because sin is a problem we all have. Whether we're staff, whether we're deacons, whether we're Sunday school teachers, whether we're choir members, whether we're orchestra, it doesn't matter who we are, what we've been, whether we're a founding member, faithful member, first-time member, or new to the church, we have to recognize God knows our sins. He really does. God gave us Psalms 51 to help us. Would you come this morning? Would you be honest today and find your place? Even kneel down where you're seated, to kneel down where you're at, and just have a time with God. You're not a criminal. But sin is sin before God. and We must come with, before Him with a heart that's honest and truthful. Now, would you do that in a moment? Father, the Spirit of God has spoken. Please use Your Word now to touch our hearts and to move us towards that place of honesty before God. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand while the piano is being played. We're not going to sing. Would you come just as you are this morning? You come just as you are. If you need to kneel where you're at, you need to come forward, I invite you to come this morning. The old invitation time. Find your place at the old-fashioned altar. Find your place for your seat. Say, God, what do you need me to do this morning? What do you need me to do this morning? Would you come this morning? There's something God's pointed out to you. Some things going on in your life. Would you take time? God bless you. Would you come today? God certainly spoke to us. Have we been truthful? Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil against thy sight. Does that bother us this morning that we've hurt the heart of God? That we've hurt each other. It might be hurtful words between husbands and wives. And hurtful words between parents and children. It may be hurtful words between Christian and Christian. But whoever it may be this morning. Would you come today and truthfully say, Lord, I need your help in my life. Let's be honest before God. There can be no cleansing. There can be no forgiveness. There can be no restoration. Unless we do that. Listen this morning. David said, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. And to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, there can be freedom and peace and happiness again. Come this morning. We'll play another stanza I invite you to come. Would you come this morning? Come this morning. You know you're not saved. You need to get saved. Would you come this morning? One of our altar workers, they love you. and You've been prayed for that you might come to Christ this morning. Would you come to Christ? Let today be your second birthday. Will you come to Christ? Would you do that this morning? Fathers, many are praying around the room and the Spirit of God has just used the Word to speak to us. We know, Lord, our consciences are pricked and moved. Please continue to do a holy uh, work of God, a work of healing in our lives, a work of helping us to discover the faithfulness of God, that You're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. Please continue to do a great work. Perhaps on the way out, someone needs to get saved. They need their lives touched. Have your way this morning. Just as Robert Bruce, who escaped those, those hounds, Lord, and the scent of, of his, his scent was washed away. Thank God that, Lord, that there are sins and iniquities you remember no more. Please, may, help, may you help us this morning to find that release that comes from you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.